Welcome to Two Marks in a Mic Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Joe. Today we're going to talk about Jerry the King Lawler, a.k.a. the King of Memphis. Just talk about his career and been in the business for almost 60 years. Yeah, which crazy. is incredible. My very first memory of him was just when he came into WWF, you know, when I was a kid. So, like, to see... And that, you know, we all knew that, like, he was a good, like, you know, artist and stuff once you get into. But I didn't know that that's what got his foot in the door to begin with. Right, yeah. He was in um, Memphis wrestling. It was Jerry Jarrett's territory back in the 70s. And he was a kid. Him and his father were fans of wrestling. And he would draw the the winners of the matches. And, yeah. And then somebody suggested that he send it in to their announcer. Larry Russell, I believe. So these are really good. You mind doing some more for us next week? Down the road, a transition into him somehow getting a DJ gig at, at night. I think it was called KWAM is what it was called. It was mm. a Memphis radio station, and he was a, the night disc jockey. That transformed into him getting a job at Outlaw Wrestling, which was in West Memphis, Arkansas. Him and um, Jerry Vickers. He actually lied about his first match, or lied to get his first match. Yeah, he said he wrestled all over. I think he wrestled like territories. I think he even said Florida. Yeah, and... well, he said he said. Well, he goes, oh, you wrestled before? And he goes, yeah, where at? He goes, oh, down in Florida. Oh, for who? Oh, well, oh, I have a radio show. I can, can plug you for free. Oh, okay, well, you're in the main event. It's just weird how the business worked back then. Yeah, I guess Jackie Fargo in Memphis caught wind of him doing this, plugging this outlaw show, and said, hey, why don't you come work for us instead? Rest is history. He wrestled a lot of different places, but his main thing was Memphis. He was a superstar in the, in the Memphis territory at the time. Yeah, and he said that the whole uh, persona of having the, the king of wrestling is when he was with Jackie Fargo in his main feud. And he had referred to him that, you know, he was the king of Memphis. He was going to take his throne. And he realized there was no king of wrestling at that time. And he said they just, like, went with it. And that was kind of, like, his main draw and what people saw him as. And he said he went, he did the whole thing with the crown and the robe. And people just started taking the call on the king. It just really stuck. And But uh, he had some really good matches in AWA. They were doing all kinds of different innovative stuff that, that wasn't being done at the time. He wrestled a lot of people in AWA, like, um, I want to say Eddie Gilbert. The Soul Taker comes to mind, a.k.a. The Godfather. And most notably, his probably his biggest feud ever was Andy Kaufman. Oh, yeah. I, you know, what was interesting is that when he was coming up, um, I, I, this might have been just going in at AWA or just before it, but they said he, like, held a record for consecutive sellouts of, like, the, uh, what, Mid-South Coliseum. Right, yeah, and I think he actually sold it out more than Elvis did. yeah. It was like 20 weeks in a row or something like that with their Monday night show or whatever. Right. Yeah. I, you know what's funny is that Andy Kaufman feud, that was probably, in, in my eyes, the most kayfabe thing that I ever bit on as a wrestling fan. Because for the longest time, that was one thing. Like when you kind of like get older and you have wrestling kind of figured out. But for the longest time, I was like, man, was that like, was that, was that real? Like, cause that was older back then. Like, you know, and they took a little more personal. And so from like day one, knowing that it was kayfabe and that Vince. I was a senior still it was at the both. time. <clears throat> it just was turned both. it down. Yeah, it was both. It was Vince Sr. and Vince Jr. They thought, I mean, according to Kaufman's ex-girlfriend or former girlfriend, excuse me, they thought it would be sullying the business by bringing an actor in. Because, you know, Andy Kaufman, not only was he a stand-up comedian, but he was also an actor. He was on a show called Taxi. Which was hot at the time. Hot, yeah. He was in it, and uh, it was a very popular show. And so it only would make sense to have him do it. And, you know, he, he wasn't even wrestling the boys. He was wrestling women. Right. He'd, he'd, he'd give a woman from the crowd three minutes. Um, to try to pin him. And try to pin him. Or, or they would try to pin him. And he would always wind up winning. Because and they said it was, like, good because, you know, the way he was, you know, with the South and how he's the stereotypical Southern and disrespect he had for them. And it gave Lawler almost a huge face push, you know, right. down there. He was just making fun of them in the South. It's a target-rich environment. That, I mean, that feud made all over the world headlines. It did because people thought it was real. 
real and they're matched it sold the stadium out it didn't last long there was like three moves it was just basically Kaufman running around avoiding Lawler but there was a back suplex a oh no excuse me it was a headlock that led to a back suplex then two pile drivers and then Andy Kaufman got taken out on a, in a, on a stretcher for an ambulance and then he can, proceeded to wear a neck brace for six months after <laughs> yep got a heel such a heel it was, and he was really good at it too <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean you know if you get a chance watch Man on the Moon it's a good movie have you seen it oh yeah yeah oh yeah I remember seeing it in the theaters back in the day but yeah, yeah it was so really good I think I waited to see it on HBO and it was cool to have JR and Lawler in the movie they actually they replicated the David Letterman thing Lawler slapped the taste buds out of Kaufman's mouth. So this era of the business, people only really work stiff. I mean, very, very seldom did you see someone who actually pulled their punches. No. And because you know, guys were a lot tougher back then and, you know, it had to make it look as real as possible. And I don't even know how many people outside of the two of them were in on that work because Letterman was clueless. I guess they showed in the uh, in the movie that it was Kaufman and Lawler talking and he says, I think this was great for the business. I know it was, you know, it was just a, it was a good work and that people really believed it, you know, because mm-hmm. especially he came out there and after the slap on Letterman, he come out with this, you know, profanity lakes tirade. Right. And it was like, people thought it was legit. And again, that was the second bit in a row with the two of them that made worldwide headlines. Right. It yeah, was crazy. It was, after the match they had, and I use that term loosely, there's pictures of him or a stretcher with a neck brace in Japan, in international news. So it really helped push the business. And then in kind of retrospect, Vince Sr. and Jr. saw this in New York and saw the business that it was doing, and they got mad. Mm. They got mad at, at Memphis. I'm like, no, you'd be mad at yourself. Yeah, because you had an opportunity to go. Exactly, because you were afraid to, to take a chance. But what what are some of your favorite things about the King? Going back and looking at it, how when he came into WWF, well, WWE, in 1993... And you're, and you're just like, well, who, you know, who is this guy? He had, and, and they even said he had such a natural heelish ability. The outlandish things he would he would say, and uh, I mean, it was also a much looser grip, mm-hmm. FCC wise back then too. But I mean, he, I loved. I mean, just obviously him on the mic, but him as a heel in general, because his just you wanted to see him get his butt kicked. You did, and then um, what really stood out was the fact that he didn't wrestle much. I was just about to say that. I didn't don't remember him wrestling a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, because I think when he got into WWEF, whatever you want to call it, in 93, he was already like 35. Mm. And he had been in the business for 20 years at that point. Yeah. And the thing is, people don't realize, like, he's, he's 70-something years old now. You know, he looks great. He's in good shape. And it almost makes sense, his transition at the time when he did, because that was when they were kind of fading out Heenan off the mic. And I thought he was a great, I don't want to say replacement, because he can't be replaced, but a good substitute, substitute you know, for that for that time. Because the mouth on him and the way he was, he was what you want in a heel commentator. And then obviously King's Court, you know, came about. And which almost seems like it's just like the almost direct correlation of when Piper was at a super heelish phase with Piper's pit. Those were great. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you had his his feud with Piper, which was the match in itself at King of the Ring. We talked about that in the yeah. last podcast. It wasn't that great, but we you know we're not talking about the duds here. But but I think Piper was a was a face at that point. But, yeah, because oh, he had yeah. been he had been gone for so long. And, and when somebody who's that great comes back, they're pretty much come back automatically a face. Some of his feuds besides Kaufman uh, are the my favorite one was uh, well I have two favorites for it, and I usually don't like saying favorites was the one with Bret Hart, and he had that god awful kiss, kiss my, my foot, foot match. match. Yeah, what's your memories of that? So I loved the build up to that match the best because he was like would always attack everybody in his family, Bret Hart's family verbally, 
every week on every, you know, television appearance, whether it was Stu or Helen or any of the brothers. I had, I mean, he was vicious. And so that was probably, I, that's what I brought that feud was great too, because, you know, you had a genuine like storyline build up and you felt that these two did disliked each other. My favorite part about that feud was, I guess Brett wrestled twice that night. He wrestled for the King of the Ring tournament because mm. he wrestled um, Hakushi and then he wrestled Lawler that night, but he he did a kayfabe knee injury to get Lawler to. That's right. And he's like, he kind of, he's like, he's limping out of the ring, and like, oh god, I'm so hurt. And then come time for the Lawler match, he's like sprinting to the ring, you know, jogging in place. And Lawler, see this face goes white. <laughs> it was a great one. And then and he's got this like terrible looking sock. It's like green and, <laughs> yeah. and disgusting. And, and then at the end of it, you know, of course Lawler loses, and, and then Brent makes him eat his own foot, which was yeah. fantastic. I guess you can fast forward a little bit to about '96 ish. Lawler is feuding with Jake Roberts. This one, I kind of on the fence about because this is when Jake was uh, battling with... He was sober, but he was having a hard time staying sober, I believe. Mm. This is before the intervention of DDP and all, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, you got Lawler bringing a bottle of Jim Bean and Jack Daniels to the ring. No different than when WCW used Scott Hall's alcoholism as a storyline. Uh, it's just in bad taste, I think. The other one that was kind of weird because of who his opponent was, was the Ultimate Warrior. Like, he did that drawing, and then people were like, why is the Ultimate Warrior wearing a hat? He never wears a hat. <laughs> he knew he was going to get smashed on the head. And did, did they, was it a WrestleMania that they... No, I think it was like a in-your-house or a okay. pay-per-views. Okay, which yeah. deserved to be, I would say. Yeah, that wasn't, yeah. A, wasn't a... You know, I mean, it, it's Lawler carrying Warrior for five minutes or whatever he can go. Right. So now, I guess, I guess it was shortly after that where they just Vince brought him on as full-time commentator because Savage left for WCW. Correct. And Vince was like, okay, later. Yep. The same thing 19 years later or whatever it was happened to Lawler. Everybody knows that at one point in time, Lawler was married to Miss Kitty, the cat. JR was the head of talent relations and Vince just said, uh, you need to give Cat her release. Lawler, and, and to his credit, said, you know what? If you're going to fire my wife... I'm going too. And he goes, all right, see you later. Yeah, he said he expected Vince to laugh and... Thought he was ribbon. Yeah, and he said, okay. Right, and, and so he took a couple years off and ran the independence and torturous Paul Heyman era of Raw with JR. Yeah. And my favorite thing when, when Lawler came back was when Vince says, your replacement is Jerry the King Lawler. JR goes, thank God, there <laughs> yeah. is a God. Yeah. And it was just fantastic. And one thing that... um. I thought was interesting that Vince said as far as Lawler's commentating ability, he said from day one he was good. Mm -hmm. And he knew he was going to be good. He said he was quick. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I believe, was it before his return, he ran for the mayor of Memphis? He, I mean, he, he did it. I mean, he, he, you know, I mean he, only, he only lost by like 30,000 votes. He yeah, I think they said like he came in third and I think the winner had like, yeah, 70,000 yeah. and 40,000. That's still impressive. And, it, you know, because it just goes to show you his influence in Memphis. Yeah. I, know, I know he has a restaurant in Memphis. And then, uh, so then he came back and the shortly after, which I thought was kind of quick. I remember his wrestling fan being like already, but, um, you know, in 2007, he became Hall of Fame right. with Jim Ross. Yeah, that was cool. That was a nice little touch. That was awesome. Yeah. That was good, good character move. Because I remember King originally wanted to said he wanted to turn it down because he's like, well, I'm not ready to retire. He's like, no. And, you know, he said he still ended up being yeah. in the business, you know, long after mm -hmm. Hall of Fame as well. We touched on it earlier on. He's an accomplished artist. He's From a young age. And my biggest surprise in, you know, our researching for this podcast is that I always thought he was just one of those typical, like, loved wrestling at a young age. And 
you know, was going to work at it to do what he can and with the schools and whatever. I had no idea that he was just a fan, but his art is what got him in the door when he was doing the ringside sketches. And, you know, and he just kind of took it off from there between his art and his mouth is what put him on the map. To have that raw talent like he does is amazing. I mean, to come in and to have, you know, I think it was Jerry Jarrett. He said that he had some, he had the wrestling basics down. Mm. Just from watching, pretty amazing. It takes a special kind of person to be able to do. Yeah, and uh, one other thing I like to, I was kind of going back to Jerry Lawler as the wrestling fan, was that how his uh, used to go to the events with his dad because his dad was a janitor at Mid South Coliseum, I think it was at that point. But he in return he would get like tickets to them, like the shows, and you get the box seats. Yeah, the yeah. box seats. That's what it was for a um, for a whopping two fifty. Yeah, those were high. Those high dollar tickets back then. Tells you inflation sucks. <laughs> He's had a great career. He held a lot of titles in AWA. He was their heavyweight champion. I think him and Kurt Henning had an amazing match for the title there. But he's wrestled in a lot of different places. You know, he was in Continental AWA, uh, World Class Championship Wrestling, which was in Texas. He finally did get his WrestleMania moment in 2011 yeah. with Michael Cole. Yeah, he had just got done wrestling a match, and um, all of a sudden, Michael Cole hears snoring in a microphone. And he looks over and he sees Lawler face down on the table. Which he thought was a rib at first. He thought he was joking around. I was like, what are you doing? And he goes, snapping his fingers, hey, Doc, something's wrong. So he passes out. The docs get him. The, EM, the, the EMTs come and take him. And they're doing CPR. You know, they were able to revive him. That scary situation, but also how well Michael Cole handled it because he had no idea what was going on and they were kind of feeding him information as it was going and it kind of had glimpses of back when JR had to make the announcement about Owen. You know, props to him to kind of keeping his composure in that crazy time. Yeah, I mean, thankfully he had no damage to his heart and thank God. Yeah, I know for the um, that night, for respect, after that happened, they did no more commentary. Yep. So, which I'm pretty sure it was a relief for Michael. Sure. I mean, not not that he couldn't carry the show by himself, but it's because, you know, yeah. he's worried about his friend. Oh, yeah. Cole said he would cry in the ring when he came was back. giving him a hug. And, yeah, so that was that was awesome. I was, I was glad he came back, and I'm glad he still commentates. So do you have any um, any closing thoughts about the King? You know, I just really appreciated him in, in every aspect that he had, especially in, you know, the WWF era and even now in the WWE um, just him as a commentator, as a heel, just what he brought to the storylines and just, you know, just his passion for the business. I've always appreciated it as a fan of his. We can talk about him and JR all day long, mm. you know, but just as they're as a team, them as a team of, of being a commentators together is, it's probably second to none as far as I can think of. We have a Facebook page now. It's two, the number two marks and a mic, two marks and a mic on Instagram. That's going to wrap it up for us. We'll see you next time.